Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. Hey, welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. I'm so glad you're with me. Before I dive in this week, let me make sure that you're getting a weekly email blast that I do called Leading Thoughts. It's mainly for leaders. It goes out free. Uh, listen, we won't sell your stuff. We won't sell your information, and we don't spend a lot of time marketing. We mention my books from time to time, but that's no big deal. This is a great romp in leadership. I tend to focus on the soft sides of leadership because so many people are emphasizing the technical sides, and uh, we've just seen a lot of fruit from it. So make sure you go on Stephen mansfield.tv and sign up for leading thoughts. I think you'll enjoy it. I think it'll impact you and it'll extend what we're trying to do here on this podcast. I want to talk to you this week about globalization and globalization versus nationalism. We're seeing some trends in our world that are very, very important. Uh, For many decades, especially since, well, just before World War II, uh, we've had a trend towards globalization and that putting it very simplistically. And professors listening to this, please excuse me, I'm being very simple about it. Um, Basically, uh, globalization in its positive form is a good thing. It's an awareness that we're connected to an international community, that there's a family of nations, that we have moral obligations beyond our own nation. Um, And it's what it's what won World War II. It's what helped get us out of the Great Depression. It's it's what addressed Saddam and and, and other issues like that. So globalization um, or globalism, maybe is a better way to say it, uh, in its positive form, is simply a recognition that with technology and international economics and business trade, that we live in an international world, that we have international obligations, uh, and that especially a nation as powerful as the U.S., where I'm sitting right now, uh, has moral obligations. It's po- it's the positive side of it. The negative side uh, is that there have been a lot of what some people say pejoratively globalists, uh, some people who are focused almost exclusively on an international community uh, and, a gl- and globalist trends to the exclusion of nations. Uh, and as that trend has evolved, people have felt like their nation, their nationhood, maybe even their ethnicity has been diminished, uh, and there's been a reaction to it. Uh, I would suggest that to some extent, a reaction to globalism is evident in the election of Donald Trump. Certainly, a reaction to a form of globalism is evident in uh, England uh, in, in the Brexit issue, in the UK leaving the EU, the European Union. Um, and we're definitely seeing right Right now, uh, a reaction to globalism, or at least what's perceived as globalism, in the yellow vest movement that's happening right now in France. If you haven't been following this, let me summarize it for you real quick. It's very interesting. Prices have been rising in France. Um, Macron, who's the, who's the current uh, president, is uh, talking a lot about international issues and global obligations and things like that. Uh, and so there's been a violent, violent response, uh, as many as 300 thousand people basically identifying with this yellow vest movement, which is a reaction to the globalism of the current administration and a a cry for lower prices, lower taxes, uh, and tending the home fire, so to speak. What's interesting is that the whole thing has been generated largely through social media. A woman who lived in the suburbs uh, began going on social media, the suburbs of Paris now, began going on social media talking about 
about gas prices. And when you convert uh, the, e, the, the uh, euro for American consumption, you find out that a, a gallon of gas there costs $6, $6 now. And she broke that down and began to analyze it and, and show everyone that half of that $6 was taxes half of it. So she began talking about that. Eventually, a trucker (laughs) picked up this information, uh, literally printed it out on paper, began to distribute it, began to also urge people to go on social media and look at Twitter and look at the various forms of social media they were using. And hundreds of thousands got engaged. Now, I'm certainly not advocating the kind of violence uh, that's happening in Paris and throughout France, actually, many cities with hundreds of thousands of people uh, just engaged in very destructive violence. You can see videos of cars being overturned and rocks being thrown and people fighting against the police and so on. I would never advocate for that kind of thing. What I do think is perhaps uh, not only interesting but positive about this is that it is kind of a nationalist movement. It is a belief uh, that a government, first of all, should care for its people. It should do that before its international obligations uh, and that there's some degree of pride uh, in being a in being a member of a nation and, and belonging to that nation, having that nation help to uh, create a healthy environment. Uh, Donald Trump has recently tweeted that people on the streets of Paris are chanting, we want Trump. Now, I don't see any evidence of that. I'm not calling the president a liar. I haven't seen any evidence of that. I've asked some people who live over there and have walked around amongst the riots. They haven't, uh, they haven't heard anything like that. But at least it's symbolically true in the sense that uh, this movement, this yellow vest movement is very akin to the movement that swept Trump into office. It's nationalist. It's take care of the home fires first. It's a, you know, a version of make America great again, lower taxes, limit international obligations, strong defense. Uh, don't sacrifice national entrance interests and international treaties, things of that nature. And I think zooming out for just a moment, what we need to know is that people, aside from their economic interests, people are made to feel part of uh, their ethnicity first. Well, I guess I should say first their family. That then leads to a sense of belonging to their ethnicity, whatever their tribe is, so to speak, uh, ethnically speaking. And then beyond that, uh, people are made to feel a connection to nationhood. Nations are not artificial artificial constructs. Um, they, are, they are relatively recent in history, um, but there have always been some version of nations. You were part of a fiefdom, or you were part of a duchy, or you were part of a realm. You you connected to uh, a governmental entity. Uh, You connected to a land. You connected to a place that was governed in a certain way, that had a certain title. You said, I'm a a Floridian, or I'm a Texan, or or I I live in Dallas-Fort Worth, or I live in Nashville, or I live in the county of so-and-so. People connect that way. And I want to suggest, speaking as a Christian, that that's the way people are made. That people are not made just to be born into the world and be citizens of a of a nameless entity of an of just a, a human race, so to speak. Now, I certainly am a human being, and I certainly believe in feeling one with all humanity in a sense. Uh, and, and and obviously, that's that's something that we all feel. We feel the humanity of our existence, and we feel connected to other people in their humanity. But I'm saying that people. 
uh, beyond being connected to their immediate family and maybe their extended family as a tribe, um, they they feel connected to uh, place. They feel connected to nationhood. They feel connected connected to states. Um, they may feel connected to a broader ethnicity, and this is important. This is vital. It's it's why some of the great stories and history are about a people finding place, finding nationhood, becoming a nation in the world. Um, it's why, for example, I'm always talking about the Kurds, 35 million strong worldwide, largest people group on earth without their own nation, without their own place. And it plays into their history and it plays to their, uh, into them being victimized. And it plays into uh, much of the violence that happens. They don't have place. They don't have a sense of belonging other than to their heritage and their ethnicity. And uh, that's powerful, but they want more. They long for more. They hope for more. And one day I think that, that there will be a nation of Kurdistan, and I, it may, I pray it happens in my lifetime. But what we need to understand um, is that people do not like their political leaders, uh, what someone in the States would call a political elite, aligning with an international coalition, aligning with um, the globalist uh, powers, uh, and somehow diminishing nationhood, diminishing the local, or, or certainly taxing the local for the sake of the international. That is what people are reacting to. Uh, I spend time in, in England, and I, I, I have many, many British friends, people in the UK who are buddies of mine and study those trends and so on. I am an Anglophile, basically by ethnicity. Um, I'm, I'm probably Scots-Irish, British in some way. You know how, how these uh, genealogy.com studies come back and that's that's what it seems to be have a little bit of native american but all that to say uh, that I feel very connected to that part of the world. Well, people were saying to me, uh, you know, we, we, we're submitted to a European Union bureaucracy. Our taxes are high. The number of regulations that go into a bed sheet or, a, or fish and chips or you know, whatever product is just ridiculous. It, it costs us. It takes time. It diminishes our nationhood. It diminishes our prosperity. And all for what? For some global entity uh, that then others take advantage of. And of course, my British friends point at Greece and how it's falling apart economically and not paying its own way and not paying its dues and and, and uh, basically becoming a, well, a welfare situation within the EU. Um, so why should a guy living in London pay for the retirement for a guy living in Greece? This is the this is the argument my friends make. Well, those of us in the U.S. are familiar with those arguments because we're hearing Donald Trump. Trump say, hey, Germany is not paying its fair share of its NATO costs. Uh, other countries aren't paying its fair share, their fair share of their defense. The U.S. is paying a huge amount, and that's of a gigantic economy. And so what's happening is that there's a surge towards nationalism. There's a surge towards more local belonging. There's a surge toward a more immediate sense of connection to the entities that govern our lives. Now, I want to say that I think, and, and this is not just because I'm always thinking moderate and always thinking compromise, that you have to include both. And those of you who are political leaders and other kinds of leaders who are involved in these areas, uh, hear me on this. It's not globalist versus local or national. You can't pose it that way. It's both. I am an American. I am a largely white, you know, whatever class, socioeconomic class, male, a member 
of the United, a citizen of the United States, born in Georgia, raised a military brat, living now in Washington, D.C. and Nashville. These connections define me. I belong places. I have obligations to governments. Governments make that clear every April in America that I owe somebody some money because somebody's building me some roads and somebody's protecting me. And if I call for help, fire departments show up and police departments show up. And, and they, those come from some entities. They don't magically appear out of the air at no cost. So I belong somewhere. I belong in Virginia. I belong in Nashville. I pay taxes. I, I have a city. I'm a citizen of something. And this is not just a political thing. It's not just a tax thing. This is the way I'm made. I'm made to belong. I'm made to have my feet on land. I'm made to own property. I'm, I'm made to be connected. And I'm a citizen of the U.S. I'm not a citizen of any other country. I'm a citizen of the U.S. And all of that has to be primary for me. In fact, I would suggest that it's better for the world that it is primary for me, that I'm connected here, that I'm an American citizen, that I understand my obligations here, that I work to make America better. Uh, that's, that's primary. However, technology, international events, uh, the size and scope of our crises today all require international connections. But that doesn't mean we have to we have to diminish our sense of nationhood. Those globalists who want to completely remove national obligations and loyalties are making horrible mistakes. They're denying the way people are made. Uh, they're denying the primary entities that do good in the world. Um, and they're leaning towards a, a globalist kind of dream uh, that is not meant to exist by itself. It's meant to arise from a family of nations that are strong and secure. I want a strong nationalist France. I want a strong nationalist Germany. I want a strong nationalist Jordan. I want a strong nationalist, and let me say righteous Turkey. It's not now under Erdogan, but I, that's what I want. Uh, I want Canada to be strong and nationalist and intent and prosperous, and I want it to be a trading partner, partner with the U.S., and I want it to help us with the seas and reserving life and combating global crises, and I want us to, them to sell us their technology, and I don't want punitive tariffs. I want us to have good trade so we make each other better. But I don't, I don't want Canadians to have to diminish who they are and their pride and their heritage uh, and their national best interests in order to relate to my country. So the, the challenge of the future is strong nations giving rise to global connections that do good. The global connections, the global networks help to strengthen nations, their heritage, their pride, their economies, their services, their defense, their national interests. And yet at the same time, they recognize that they are a member of a community of nations. We don't want some kind of Star Trek Federation, you know, uh, that's completely apart from any kind of national rooting. Uh, we want nations. We want strong nations. I would even suggest as a Christian that God has made nations. He has made ethnicities, and these are meant to be primary alliances. But I still want the U.S. to be involved in treaties and to be caring about the, uh, the, the about nature and, and, and about about situations of immigration and trafficking and, 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 and drug trafficking and all of that kind of thing that has to be dealt with on a global level. That's what won World War One. It's what won World War Two. It's even what won the uh, well, we didn't really win the Korean War, but brought the Korean War to a stalemate. It's what dealt, what's dealt with a lot of international crises and will continue to. 
Uh, I would suggest that trafficking is a huge issue. Almost 60 million people being uh, trafficked in the world for labor or sex, about 80% of that for sex, and uh, it's got to stop. That's not going to happen with the U.S. doing it alone. And by the way, the U.S. currently is not doing near what it should. So this is something to keep our eyes on. We want a balance. We want strong nations that are free to pursue uh, their self-interest. In fact, I would suggest that a free market exchange is exactly that. If I buy, if you and I negotiate for the sale of something and I buy something for you at the negotiated price, the assumption is we're both benefiting. No one's losing. Uh, you're not losing because you sold me that chair and I'm not losing because I paid for it. We're both winning. Uh, free market exchange is meant to be a win-win. And that's what these connections, that's what these trade arrangements between nations ought to be. Punitive tariffs are stupid. Punitive tariffs are attacks on the people. So what we want is strong nations where people feel pride and feel a heritage and feel connected and work to make their nation better. And then those nations are part of global networks that are doing good in the world and helping all nations to thrive. That's the goal. That's the vision. So beware of the hyper-nationalist and beware of the hyper-globalist. They are both extremes that can get us in trouble. But uh, global networks of nations, uh, of nations that are vital and strong and with a vital heritage and strong economies and are pursuing their self-interests through uh, free market exchanges with other nations, this is the best of the international community. And good things can come from it. Let's learn from the election of Donald Trump. Let's learn from Brexit. Let's learn from the Yellow Vest riots in France. People are wanting nationhood. They're wanting their nations to make life better for them. They're wanting a fair shot and even playing field. But they also want their nations, of course, to be wisely part of an international community that makes life better for all. Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times bestselling author, a popular speaker, and a frequent faith and culture commentator on Fox and CNN. His groundbreaking books on faith and society include The Faith of George W. Bush, The Search for God in Guinness, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and Lincoln's Battle with God. Learn more at stephenmansfield.tv.